Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Well, I just welcome you all here tonight. I welcome you, and I welcome the kids. At first, when I heard that the kids were going to be in here, I have to say I was a little apprehensive because thinking of the message that I felt God had put on my heart already was maybe a little PG-rated, and um, I was afraid. However, I don't know that I um, toned it down much, but I do know that all the kids in here are PG kids. They are parentally guided, so... Um, so I'll just, just throw out the warning right now, that, that rating warning. You might hear some descriptions, you won't see anything, but um, that excite your savory gland, or your salivary glands, and then cause churning of a digestive system and loud belly rumbles for hunger. So it's that or we're just really hungry because we couldn't have a feast, but that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so we're in the flavor series, and my job was to bring the feast. Um, it is season appropriate, right? Thanksgiving this week, okay? And I have to say, I am well-versed on providing a feast. <laughs> I have five kids, four boys, and kids eat a lot. Boys eat even more, and they eat even more the bigger they get. So I love making feasts. I love sitting at our table with lots of food and lots of fun. So I like to eat, but that does not negotiating or does not negotiate negate feasting. Sorry. I like to eat out that doesn't negate feasting. And um, I have to say, when my kids were little, and Mike and I would often take them out to eat, we would um, take them to make sure that they could um, display proper behavior in a restaurant, that they could talk, maybe order on their own. Um, I don't know, maybe taste different things that maybe I don't make at home. So we often gave them the opportunity to eat out. And it wasn't always fast food. A lot of times it was at sit-down wheels. So, and a lot of times I remember going to Bob Evans. I don't know about you guys, but Sunday after church, (laughs) breakfast at Bob Evans, good stuff. And there used to be a time where kids didn't have like devices to entertain them. Yeah, I know. So what happened is you'd walk in, they'd seat you, and they would lay placemats with like a blank side or a doodle side, and they would give you a little cup of crayons, usually just three crayons, right? The primary colors, uh, all broken, yeah. And then, and then how can Jack hold a broken crayon? But, sorry. <laughs> Those crayons usually ended up being the three primary colors, and they would draw simple pictures. And I love those simple pictures, you know, the blue sky, yellow sun, red barn. And if they got really creative, we could get some green grass, little mixtures. I love those pictures, but I love God's spontaneous pictures. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't seen outside in the evenings lately. Oh my goodness, the colors, you guys, unfathomable, if that's even a word. Um, 
his color palette is just amazing. And I, Mike and I will look out on the blue ocean and we cannot, we cannot fathom how he has made so many colors of blue. It is crazy, crazy amazing. Crayola has nothing, has no comparison, no chance with, with God's creativity, right? Sorry about your coloring there. <clears throat> God created all of our senses. He created all of our senses to see that the Lord is good. Um, in Psalm 34, 9, it says, taste and see that the, that the Lord is good. What? Taste? See? That's two different senses. How do you put those together? Well, <clears throat> that's where flavor comes in. So Mike mentioned that we have um, five taste sensations, or should I say he, how did I say that earlier? Because it was so good. <laughs> he spiced our series with salt. So he mentioned five taste sensations or flavors. Along with salt, there's sour, sweet, bitter, savory, right? Um, but I think of those five flavors as kind of the five primary flavors, like the three primary colors. So I think we can distinguish, we can pull out those five flavors, but God has such a bigger taste palette, a flavor palette. Um, sorry, I got lots of papers, and you thought my husband did this. <laughs> okay. Lots of flavors, lots of mixtures, and I just want to just share one of my very favorite, favorite flavors in one word, salted caramel dark chocolate brownie. That is good stuff, right? But just like Crayola, Jelly Belly has nothing on God's flavors, right? So, but we're going to put... We're just going to kind of have a fun little um, go with this. Um, I would like, I just kind of randomly picked these people. I would like Jared, if you could come up. Oh, Jack, if you could come up. Jules? Jules? Okay. All right, well, we can try somebody else. Hmm. We can get her. What? Yes, look excited. This is Jelly Bellies, guys. The three J's. Okay. Grab a bowl. Don't eat yet. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. We're going to try. I'm going to have you eat one of the jelly beans, and then if you could each guess what flavor it might be. Okay? So the first one I would like you to try is the green one. No, there's no gross tastes. Okay. I'm not into that. So sorry. Any guess? Ooh, you're right, Jules. Yay, one for Jules. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I need to look at him. How about the pink one? 
think it's cotton candy. It is. I think so. <laughs> well, that's what I wrote down. Okay. Um, how about the white one or the whitish one? Oh, well, I promise you it's not. Yeah. Toast and marshmallow. Way to go. Okay. And then how about the darker one? Oh, no, the other one. The darker. Like a reddish? Yeah. Sorry, Sarah. Chocolate. Oh, wait, it is chocolate. Yeah, yeah. It was chocolate. It was intended to be chocolate. (laughs) And then the last one. The last one's a tough one. Jared? <laughs> what do you think? No, it's Island Punch. Okay. Hey, thanks for being good sports. <laughs> okay. Now, before we go on, I just I need to explain some stuff up here. Um, I needed, this is all kind of a personal thing, so I'm sorry, but I need to explain it you, so it doesn't distract you and think, where's she going with that? Why, why does she have that up there? Um, I am going to be talking about um, some things that I really am talking to myself about. I'm preaching to me about. And so I had to bring a mirror to remind myself, Sherry, this is for you just as much as it is for anyone else. So, um, And I also, I brought... Um, my water in my best glass because, and you will see that I, I didn't want um, just plastic or paper. Um, I needed my best glass, okay? And I also needed just a, a, a portion of beauty in my life, especially today. I'm just like struggling today. But um, I needed a portion of beauty and I needed my best flowers at this point here with me in my best vase. Okay, and the last thing is, I needed a hanky um, because, and not a tissue, um, paper tissue. I needed a cloth. I needed the best kind because I have a tendency to um, tear up, and from what I'm talking about, I just might do that. So, all right. So let's just pull it back. Last week, Peyton talked about the bread of life, right, and she spoke of fasting. She encouraged us to try a fast. She encouraged us to stop what distracts us so that we can feast on the bread, on the bread of life, on God's word. Okay? But I am calling you to feast. And not, I mean, I'm calling you to feast on God's word all the time. But I'm saying we need to get out of the season of fasting and we need to get in the season of feasting. I am highlighting, focusing on feasting. We might look at those two as competitive, but they're not. They're at two ends of the spectrum, but they're complementary. I think there is a season for both. 
I believe there is a season for both. And Solomon tells us that in Ecclesiastes. He says in verse 1 of um, chapter 3, he says, For everything there is a season, a right time for every intention under heaven. And he goes on in the following verses, and he says, There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. And he keeps going on. So I would like to add, there's a time to fast and there's a time to feast. So I propose right now that we feast. I propose now is the time to feast. It is a season of feasting. And you say, what? (laughs) With all the turmoil? With all the political unrest, with all the uncertain um, election results, the uptick in the scandemic, I mean, virus, the mask and vaccine debates, the plummeting economy, family relationship problems, all of that stuff. What? Fasting should be the, the key, not feasting, right? How can you feast with all of this unrest, with all of this turmoil? Well, we are commanded to fast. Yes, we are commanded to fast. Feasting, I'm sorry, we are commanded to feast. Feasting is God's idea. So we need to obey and bring the party. Sorry. So I'm doing a little study of um, Jewish culture. I have been for a while. I want to know how Jesus lived. I want to know Jesus more. So I want to know how he lived, how he taught, what it meant what he, when he taught, in the culture he taught it in. And I want to know how he practiced um, this Jewish lifestyle. Um, I've studied, in the Old Testament, I've studied the feasts and, or festivals that were laid out for, um, for all of us to um, follow, obey. It was in the Torah that Jesus would have read of them and studied them. And I just want to kind of just enlighten you and bring this back to you. In Leviticus um, 23, that's the exciting, one of the exciting chapters, right? Um, in verse 1 and 2, Adonai said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel the designated times of Adonai, which you are to proclaim as holy convocations, are my designated times. The following verses talk about those times. They talk about the Shabbat or Sabbath, which is, that's a weekly thing. But they also talk about seven biblical feasts that he describes that are multi-layered, that are rich in significance, that celebrate the past, the present, and the future. God designed these feasts as a tangible way for his people to remember his faithfulness, giving opportunity to rejoice at the way God provided and offering something back in return. It was, in a way, it was God's way to communicate with his people. So we are most familiar, those seven biblical feasts, we are most familiar with Passover, right? Um, We don't necessarily celebrate it right now, like 
the Israelites were um, commanded to do. But um, it is on our Christian calendar. It's around Easter. You know, we know Passover well. Um, Jesus celebrated it. We know in Luke 2, Jesus um, was um, left behind what Mary and Joseph thought was lost, remember? Um, And they went back to the temple and where he was in his father's house. That pilgrimage was to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And then, of course, we all know the other Passover um, when Jesus ate with his disciples in the upper room. So the six other feasts include, I'm going to rattle them off, but we're not going to talk about each of them, so don't worry. There's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. There's the Feast of First Fruits. There's Pentecost. Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement. And the Feast of Unleavened, or I'm sorry, of Tabernacles. Now, this actually has a couple of, um, of names, There's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, and the Feast of Ingathering. But I want to focus on that feast because it's so amazing. It it just lines up so well with what's happening here. Sorry. Feast of Sukkot, or Feast of Booths, I chose because it is, has a twofold purpose. The first is a fall harvest. We celebrate God's provision. We need to celebrate the goodness of God. We've been in such a funk lately that it's time to rejoice. We just talked about that. And what timing? I mean, it's the week before Thanksgiving, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. <clears throat> it's our Thanksgiving holiday And the really cool thing I read, it is widely believed that the Puritan colonists, who were great students of Hebrew scriptures, based the first American Thanksgiving on Sukkot. I just thought that was so cool. So the second reason is it's a time to remember and rejoice. But a few weeks ago, Chris likened the physical move of Church 214 to the Israelites when they were roaming in the desert, how the cloud would settle and the Israelites would stay. And when the cloud lifted from the tent of meeting, the Israelites would travel. And it was a temporary place wherever they were going in the desert. And Chris likened it to, or 214 to that, because when the cloud raised, we were told to go from Monarch. The cloud settled on revive, but this is only a temporary shelter right now for us until we are in our permanent shelter. So we're walking toward that. Um, that's another reason why I wanted this um, to celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles, because I think it's pertinent for Church 214. Um, during this time, like I said, Israelites would go to Jerusalem. They would travel to Jerusalem with the whole community, with all the Israelites, and they would set up tents or booths. And they would use this as a temporary shelter while they were there to celebrate the feast. It was a reenactment of what had happened, or when Jesus celebrated, it was a reenactment of what had happened um, with the, um, the Exodus. Um, in Leviticus 23, 41 and 42, it says that it is a permanent regulation. 
that it was to be done generation after generation, and that every citizen of Israel is to live in a sukkah, so that generation after generation of you will know that God made the people of Israel to live in Sukkot when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He says, I am Adonai your God. So why don't we celebrate Thanksgiving like the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Sukkot? Why don't we celebrate it like that? Why? I don't necessarily want to live in a tent, but... Peyton challenged us last week with the question, what are we ingesting or what are we feasting on? And like I said before, she said it was the bread of life. I extend that challenge to keep you thinking about that. What am I ingesting on? But I extend the challenge and add, how are you feasting? How do you celebrate? Like I mentioned earlier, it may not seem like a celebratory time, um, but ask a farmer. This time is hard, but ask a farmer how harvest season goes. It's a lot of hard work, and we need to celebrate in the midst of the work. God did not say to only celebrate when you see that the harvest is good. And remember, I said partying is God's idea. He strung festivals like holiday lights in the Hebrew calendar. They are to be joyful, and we are to feast on joy. In Deuteronomy 16, he says, Rejoice at your festival, you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the priests and the foreigners, orphans and widows among you. He said, Because Adonai, your God, will bless you in all your crops and in all your works, so you are to be full of joy. See that everyone is invited to the gathering. It, that's really, that, those words are kind of dangerous right now, but we need to do that. We need to gather. We need to be full of joy. As I mentioned earlier, we tend to pause, hit pause. We tend to fast too long. We tend to diet. We end up, we're unable to break fast. Um, we limit our rejoicing. And we live in a poverty mindset. That goes through, that, that applies to the way we worship, the way we eat, the way we party, the way we feast. But we need to stop. But we, we tend to hold on to those things, feeling like that is somehow holy. I have a quote from Beth Moore's Chasing Vines book. Christian virtue is not marked by a quickness to bemoan and a reluctance to rejoice. It's not a badge of maturity to sit back passively and refuse to take joy in our fruitfulness. We're meant to celebrate and kick up our heels a bit when the Lord of the harvest brings fruit from our labors. When we act as if we don't notice God's blessing, it's not humility, it's ingratitude. So, our rejoicing, right there, says it. Our rejoicing should be no holds bar. We need to celebrate like never before. Especially in this time, we need to celebrate like never before. We tend to stay in a John 10.10 mode. 
John 10.10a mode, where we are so concerned because we know that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we stop there. But we don't go to the B part, the B for but. But Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and have it to its fullest measure, abundance. We stop there. Or we get stuck in that valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23, verse 4. It's good to go through. We need to go through. But we stay there. We don't often climb out into verse 5. We don't often climb out to sit at the table that God has prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. And we don't let them watch that pure anointing oil pouring over our heads from an overflowing cup. We need to live that way. We need to party that way. We need to feast that way. We need to worship that way. I believe our feasting, specifically in our food, we need to go all out. We need to experience the best. Thus, I need to have the best. You do too. So, so um, I'm going to tell you about a feast. I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite feasts in the Bible. Um, Jesus talks about a feast in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke um, 15. And it's so beautiful. You guys are probably really familiar with that. I think Mike spoke of it when he he gave the message a couple weeks ago. But the parable, parable of the prodigal son, we tend to um, kind of stay in the slump with the, the son. So I want to pick it up at a different part. I don't want to, like, relive that kind of negative part. I mean, we need to know it, but I don't want to relive it right now. What I want to do is pick it up where the father is running at full speed to get to his son. That son probably famished, probably tattered, no shirt on his back, um, disheveled, and just needs a bite to eat. Receives his father's love that way. And he, all he wants to do is ask his father for a servant position so he can get back into where there might be food he can eat instead of being in the pig pens. But his father doesn't let him finish his apology. In Luke 15, verse 22 and 23, it says, But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and bring the calf that has been fattened up and kill it. Let's eat and have a celebration. That is so awesome. I just, I can't hardly get through this part without just choking up because it is so awesome. The son was not even finished speaking. And the father just abruptly interrupts him and says, hey, go quick, get the best, get the very best. That kid, like I said, he didn't, he didn't care. He probably didn't care at all. He probably only wanted a bite of stale bread and just give me any shirt to put on my bare back. But no, the father insisted the best, the best. And a ring and shoes 
That's not needed for a servant. That's how much God loves us. That's a love affair. That is a love story. That is a story of feasting because he feasted on a fatted calf. He could have gotten him a little Caesar's pizza. You know, PB&J. But no, he chose a good piece of a steak. I mean, sorry if you don't like steak, but man. And then I have another story. I was encouraged to tell this. It's not, it's not in the Bible, but it's very biblical or very um, God-ordained. So studying this message, for this message of feasting, I was um, heard, oddly, about a movie called The uh, Babette's Feast. And I don't know if you've, any of you have seen it. It was a 1987 Danish film. So there were subtitles. And um, let's just say the first half was really hard to um, stay awake. It was very gloomy and very dreary. Um, the, the setting was in, like, 19th century, early 19th century Denmark. And it's actually about two, like, pious aging sisters who, um, who live with their father, who is a pastor prophet of a very, very small home church. But he was very, very revered. Okay? He... Um, passed away, and in uh, several years later, they just kept living as they had when he was alive. They kept worshiping like he did when he was alive. Nothing wrong with it, but it was very solemn, very almost not, I don't want to say dark, but it was very dreary, okay? And, um, but this is how they, they worshiped. This is how they lived day after day. <clears throat> well, one day uh, a lady was sent to them from, she was a refugee from France. She was actually, her name was Babette, and she was actually a famous chef in France, unknowing to them. She was, had asked to stay with them, and then she would cook and clean for them. And, and so they allowed her to stay, and 14 years she cooked and cleaned for them. She would make bland meals that were typical of the nature of these abstemious, that's not self-indulgent, sisters and church members. Then a time came when, when Babette received an inheritance, a very generous inheritance. And she wanted to do something to help these sisters out or to bless these sisters. And so she asked them, they were planning a, a time of, a celebration for their dead father's 100th birthday party, or a, a party for, their, for his 100th birthday. And so she thought this would be a good time to ask if she could make a feast for them. So she, she asked them, and they were like, oh, no, we will, we'll just serve coffee. We, we didn't think of a meal. And she just she asked, please, let, let me make this for you. Now, remember, they did not know she was a famous chef. And so they thought, okay. That, and she um, got all of these very unique ingredients and, um, and sent away for them and spent a lot of money, although they did not know this. Um, 
she, pl- she was so excited to plan and prepare for this abundant French meal feast for these, these sisters and their, their handful of friends. Um, the sisters saw the arrival of these never-seen-before um, ingredients for the, the, the meal and were scared. They did not understand what a turtle was doing. They did not understand the quail that was um, being brought in. And so they actually called it a witch's Sabbath. They, they were fearful, but they decided, they warned the congregation, all dozen of them, they warned the congregation and promised not to take pleasure or mention anything about the food, that they would just go and eat and hopefully God would forgive them. The evening came, and there just happened to be a visitor, and it was a nephew of one of the elderly aunts um, that, were, that was eating at this table. And he was a French general, so he was very well aware of France. Um, well, the table that Babette had set was full of art and beauty. It was so beautiful. And she was in all of her glory preparing this feast, preparing this meal. And I'm going to probably read a lot of this, but just imagine, if you could just maybe close your eyes and just imagine this, how amazing this might sound to you. But every moment of her preparation was like a beautiful waltz. She would pour the hot, steamy, savory broth over the bite-sized pieces of turtle meat, and then that dish was served with sherry, not me, she would remove the hot buckwheat pancakes from the, the hot griddle and top them with sour cream and caviar, and that was served with champagne. She delicately placed the foie, okay, foie gras, foie gras quail, in, or not, I'm sorry, she, <laughs> a fat, um, inside the quail that was then laid in the bed of puff pastry shells and anointing the palate with the plate with the truffle sauce served with a Pinot Noir. Oh, that's a red wine. Um, she would then de- uh, tear the endive leaves apart and bathe them in the wa- mouth-watering oil dressing, and that was served with water. She would slide the slightly warm rum sponge cake onto a platter and topped it with juicy figs and candied cherries. That was served with champagne. And then she would slice wedges of cheese and bed them next to the um, variety of assorted fruits. And that was served with sweet wine. And here's one of my favorites. She oversaw the grinding of coffee grounds to pair, I'm sorry, to pour in a cup of rich goodness. And then that was served with cognac. <laughs> so she did all this with this joy and this smile and this satisfaction on her face and in her gut. You could tell she was in all her glory. The first course um, was served. And nobody, no emotion, nobody showed emotion until the general took a bite. And the 
the more bites he took, the more sips he took, he recognized the goodness. He recognized this is familiar. And so, this is so cool, he stood up and made an announcement of a remembrance of a woman who was a chef in France that made food like this. He went on and on and told them that she had the ability to transform a dinner into a kind of love affair, a love affair that made no distinction between bodily appetite and spiritual appetite. And we all say, mm, mm-mm. So that emotion of great satisfaction leaped upon all of their faces. They actually started to enjoy each bite in each sip, greatly, oxytocin filled their, their whole being. It rela- they were relaxed. They started smiling. The loving conversation started to flow. Their cheeks pinked. It was awesome. They were having a feast of the best kind, the best food. It was awesome. It was so beautiful. The feast ended, and the guests left. The sisters then found out that Babette was a famous chef and that she used all of her money, every penny, for that feast, for her to get the satisfaction and for them to be satisfied, for them to be full of joy. We can see this as God is our chef. He prepares so many things so that we get satisfaction, that we are full of joy, and we need to respond. We need to receive that. That is why I have this, because I have a hard time receiving the best. God gets the joy, the joy of giving to us, and we give back the glory. And that's what he's done when he has set up his feast the feast that we should be feasting at, whether it be Sakat or whether we call it Thanksgiving or whether we call it family dinner or whether we call it Sabbath or Shabbat. As I mentioned in the beginning, we as Christ followers need to bring the party. What if we turn our meals, our feasts into love affairs? When we nourish the whole body, the whole man, the whole soul, the whole spirit, what if we nourish with the best and abundant things that God has to offer? Because he's given them to us. What if we nourish our, what if we do that for ourselves? What if we do that for our families and our friends and our neighbors? But Jesus has come to give us the best life and have it to its fullest. We know the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Our families, our identities, our finances, our relationships, our celebrations, our nation. But Jesus has come to give us the best life, the fullest. We need to get out of the mourning season and step boldly into a feasting season. So I challenge you. I challenge you to take with you this idea of having the best, using the best, worshiping the best, loving the best, 
I challenge you to go out and start at your family table. Start in your own self. Emphasize, highlight, shout about the goodness of God. Laugh at the triumph of the good that God is in with each bite of remembrance. Taste and see that God is good. Remember, rejoice. You have an opportunity this week. We have that opportunity to celebrate Thanksgiving. Just like the Jewish nation is to remember the Feast of Sukkot or their temporary shelter, I believe we are called to remember Thanksgiving. The colonists arrived in that desert or the undeveloped land of our nation, just like the Israelites walked in the uh, desert. But they began with being thankful for all that God had brought them through and all that he was getting ready to do. They feasted. They remembered. They rejoiced. We need to remember what our founding fathers did, or the, the, the pilgrims, the colonists. We need to remember that, and we need to rejoice. We might not set up tents thank you, and live in them for seven days in the season like the Israelites, but we as Americans, we need to don our black and white pilgrim outfits, metaphorically, and recall that the setting up of our nation was so important. We need to do that, and we need to start in our families. We need to tell our kids, this is the nation God gave us at this time. We need to start at our family tables so that we can pass it on generation after generation. That spirit of feasting. Let's make America grateful again. Jesus, I just thank you for your life. And I thank you for your example, how you feasted and how you celebrated I thank you that you have given us every opportunity to have the best, to have life to its fullest. Jesus, I ask that you help, help us climb out of that valley of the shadow of death. Help us each sit this week at the table that you have prepared for us. And let us enjoy, be full of joy to know that that anointing oil is just pouring over us from an overflowing cup that is never-ending. Jesus, I ask that you just help us to remember your goodness, rejoice at your provision. I thank you. I thank you so much, Jesus. We love you.